the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the, let's see, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blend is producing. Sam Moppin is engineering. Today, I'm looking forward to a conversation with Rabbi Schneider. Now, you may have heard his program that's relatively new on our sister station, KPDQ AM, at 1030 in the morning and nine o'clock at night. Discovering the Jewish Jesus. It's heard Monday through Friday. He's also the author, most recently, of Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. The book was released just this week. We'll talk all about that when he joins us in the second hour of today's program. We'll also talk a bit about the National Faith League. Yeah, the NFL. Remember seeing all the players praying, not just on the day that DeMar was injured, but in the days that followed. Anyway, we'll talk more about that. Uh, Nate Jackson wrote an interesting article on the subject. We'll reference it in the latter part of today's program. But first, we'll look at some of the day's headlines. Well, aides to President Biden have uncovered at least one additional batch of classified documents in a different location from the Washington, D.C. location, the think tank, where the first set were discovered, according to multiple reports. A source familiar with the situation said that uh, uh, President Biden's aides have been looking for more confidential records in other locations he used after approximately 10 documents from his vice presidential uh, vice presidency rather were found at the Penn Biden Center. Now, interestingly, a president can declassify documents and has access. A vice president doesn't. So it does raise some kind of interesting questions. But the the uh, larger question is whether or not this is going to be overblown. And of course, it won't, as it was in the previous situation. Anyway, the president used the nonprofit headquarters as a private office between the end of his tenure as vice president to the start of his 2020 election campaign. Earlier this week, it was announced that Attorney General Merrick Garland had charged a U.S. attorney with investigating the first batch of records, which the National Archives has since acquired, according to a special counsel to the president. Well, after the news of the second bunch of documents broke, Republican Senator Josh Hawley quickly tweeted special counsel. Well, Garland tapped U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Illinois, John Losh, to determine how the first set of records ended up at Penn Biden Center. Following the review, which is expected to yield a report, Garland can appoint a special counsel to escalate uh, the investigation if warranted. My guess is it's not going to happen. The president on Tuesday responded to reports that a U.S. attorney was investigating classified documents from his vice presidency, which were uncovered at a D.C. think tank. Let me get rid of the... uh, Uh, The easy one first, the president said, fielding questions. He told reporters during the North American Leaders Summit in Mexico City, where he had been asked several times about uh, those documents but declined to respond. Um, He was on the diplomatic trip to meet the Mexican and Canadian leaders. People know I take classified documents and classified information seriously, he said. They did what they should have done. They immediately called the archives, which is true, turned them over to the archives. And I was briefed about this uh, discovery and surprised to learn that there were any government records that were taken there to that office. 
Uh, but I don't know what's in the documents. My lawyers have not suggested I ask what documents they were, end quote. Well, the records were recovered on the 2nd of November at the Penn Biden Center, an organization that's dedicated to diplomacy and global engagement and named after the president, according to Richard Sauber, special counsel to the White House. Biden used the think tank as a private office for a few years after his vice presidential tenure ended. Attorney General Merrick Garland charged U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Illinois to review the roughly 10 records and figure out how they ended up in the nonprofit headquarters where others could access it. Under the Presidential Records Act, all presidential and vice presidential records must be transferred to the National Archives. The documents were not the subject of any previous request or inquiry by the archives, Sauber went on to say, again, White House counsel. Since that discovery, the president's personal attorneys have cooperated with the archives and the Department of Justice in the process to ensure that any Obama-Biden administration records are appropriately in the possession of the archives, end quote. Well, the Penn-Biden Center situation comes after the FBI raided with a search warrant, former President um, Donald Trump's Florida residence months ago on the grounds that he mishandled documents the government claimed as its uh, property and that should have been delivered to the National Archives. During a September appearance on 60 Minutes, the president said of the trove of documented a documented retrieved um, from Mar-a-Lago, how that could possibly happen, how anyone could be that irresponsible and it just Totally irresponsible. That's a direct quote. Some Republicans have suggested that the president was a hypocrite on the matter. Well, GOP Representative Andy Biggs alleged on Monday in a tweet Biden stole classified documents and stored them at his think tank while he was vice president. The vice president does not have any authority to declassify classified documents. And this think tank received fifty four million dollars in funding from the CCP. That's the Communist Chinese Party. This is a very serious crime. DOJ and NARA can't sweep this under the rug and uh, persecute Trump. The GOP representative Marjorie Taylor Greene tweeted. Republican Senator Tom Cotton called out what appeared to be the Democrats' application of a double standard in the Biden versus Trump case. Re-Biden and classified documents, there can't be separate standards for Republicans and Democrats. The same rules must apply to everyone. And so it begins. I just... I'm looking forward to a day when open the mic and we're just going to talk about the people's business. This is what the president did for the people. This is what Congress did for the people. And a lot of this other stuff that I suppose is important and necessary uh, doesn't, you know, they can't pass a budget. I wonder why they're doing other stuff. Uh, anyway, we'll just move on. I will just say this. Former federal prosecutor Andy McCarthy weighed in on the investigation of the uh, mishandling of the documents. At least 10 senior Biden administration officials were hired to their uh, current or former positions after the stents at the Penn Biden Center for Diplomacy and Global Engagement, the president's think tank. Now, I'm not sure why that's relevant or if that should raise an eyebrow or it should tell us something nefarious about what's going on. But it is just a fact that's uh, now percolating along with all the other details. The House Oversight Committee has asked former Twitter executives to testify at a hearing next month on the platform's censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop story in October 2020. At the time, Twitter banned the New York Post story of the laptop under its hacked materials policy. Now, Committee Chairman James Gomer, a Republican out of Kentucky, has asked former Twitter 
uh, officials, um, three to be precise, to testify about that decision. On December 6, 2022, I wrote to you requesting your appearance at a committee hearing during the 118th Congress. Your attendance is necessary because of your role in suppressing Americans' access to information about the Biden family on Twitter shortly before the 2020 election. Comer wrote in letters to each of the three former officials on Wednesday. The letter reiterates the uh, a committee's request and for the convenience in uh, the planning travel informs you of the hearing date, which will be the week of February 6th. We'll continue to follow that story as it will invariably continue or develop. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. A reminder coming up in the um, in the next segment, we're going to have a conversation with... Um, Rabbi Schneider, host of Discovering the Jewish Jesus, heard uh, Mondays right here at um, KPDQ, I should say, a.m. from 1030 a.m. and 9 p.m. He's uh, the author most recently of Messianic Prophecy Revealed, uh, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. I was actually trying to multitask, and I have not done that very well. I wanted to mention that we have a... um, Here it is. Mission Connection. That's next weekend. Can you believe it? The 20th and 21st of of this month. We want to invite you to 2023 Mission Connection Northwest at Sunset Church this year. The theme is Here I Am. What next? You can learn about uh, how God is shaping you and calling you into ministry. Learn about what others are doing and just have a great uh, opportunity to hear from those who are on the, the cutting edge and the front line of mission work. There are workshops and exhibits, speakers and more. I'm going to be broadcasting live there on Friday night from four to six and have the um, opportunity to MC the conference as well. So if you're planning on being there, we'll be hanging out for the weekend. I hope uh, hope you'll join us. Admission, as always, is free. But you do need to register online. That gets you in and out of the, the conference. Go to kpdq.com for all the important details. And I hope to see you there. And if you come early, check us out. We'll be broadcasting from 4 to 6, somewhere in the lobby area where you come in. So we'll be looking for you if you look for us as well. Well, the Department of Defense has officially rescinded the August 24th, 2021 and November 30th. 2021 memoranda mandating that members of the Armed Forces Department of Defense Service members and members of the National Guard and Ready Reserves receive the COVID-19 shot. The action comes after thousands of service members have been denied religious accommodation requests uh, from the unlawful federal COVID shot mandate. Many service members have been uh, punished. Um, demoted and discharged as a result. And it's not altogether clear at this point whether those who were discharged solely on the basis of their COVID uh, vaccine uh, status will be uh, allowed to return. The Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, sent out a memo that stated even though the military will continue to promote and encourage COVID-19 vaccination for all service members, those who refuse the shot on religious, administrative or medical grounds will not face discharge. Um, he did say that uh, no individuals currently serving in the armed forces shall be separated solely on the basis of their refusal to receive the COVID-19 vaccination if they sought an accommodation on religious, administrative or medical grounds. 
The military department will update the records of such individuals to remove any adverse actions solely associated with denials of such requests, including letters of reprimand. The secretaries of the military department will further cease any ongoing reviews of current service members, religious, administrative or medical accommodation requests solely for exemption from COVID-19 vaccine or appeals. And again, it's not um, clear how this will impact those who have already been discharged based on that um, vaccination status. In other news, U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission Chairman Alexander Hosarek, or something very like that, issued a statement on Wednesday assuring the public that his agency has no intention, let me emphasize, no intention on banning gas stoves after a commission official drew the ire of the cooking public by suggesting the appliances might be banned in the near future due to the alleged health threat they pose to Americans. And this is a quote. Over the past several days, there's been a lot of attention paid to gas stove emissions and to the Consumer Product Safety Commission. He wrote in an official statement released today. To be clear, I am not looking to ban gas stoves and the CPSC has no proceedings to do so. Any option is on the table. That was what we heard earlier from Mr. Trumpka. Products that can't be made safe can be banned. Commissioner Richard Trumpka Jr. had originally told Bloomberg News that fears uh, over air quality caused the gas stoves um, uh, caused by gas stoves uh, and what they were creating. Um, he called it a hidden hazard and said, yeah, they, they can be banned. But apparently not so much. So if you are concerned about that, apparently you needn't be. Well, flights across the United States were gradually resuming today, starting this morning after an hours-long pause sparked by a Federal Aviation Administration system failure. Normal air traffic operations are resuming gradually across the U.S. following an overnight outage to the notice uh, to air mission system that provides safety info to flight crews, the FAA said. It's about 9 a.m. Eastern time. The ground uh, stopped a ground stop, rather, has been lifted. We continue to look into the cause of the initial problem, end quote. Well, the FAA previously said just after 7 a.m. Wednesday morning that it was uh, still working to fully restore the notice to air mission systems following an outage and that a pause was in place until 9 a.m. to allow the agency to validate the integrity of flight and safety information. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said in a tweet that President Biden had been briefed on the system outage by Secretary of Transportation Pete Buttigieg. There's no evidence of a cyber attack at this point, but the president directed the Department of Transportation to conduct a full investigation into the causes, she said. The FAA will provide regular updates. Well, the president confirmed earlier in the day that he had spoken to Pete Buttigieg, told reporters that aircrafts can still land safely, just not take off right now. You've got to have to take off in order to land, but you get the idea. Uh, more than 2,500 flights within, into and out of the United States were delayed as a result of this system failure, according to Flight Aware. So this was a, a serious thing, and they still are not clear on what caused it, so... Hopefully they can get to the bottom of it sooner rather than later. Well, a conspicuous connection. Multiple Biden officials are tied to the think tank where classified documents were found. Not quite sure what to make of it, but a lot of people are making a big deal out of that fact. We'll follow the story as it develops. Respect for life. Prayer is a focus this month as Americans observe Sanctity for Life Month throughout January, with January 22nd specifically observed as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. The faithful are hoping that their prayers will encourage respect for life at all stages 
the beginning and the end. Intercessors for America is laser focused on prayer 365 days a year for national issues such as the right to life, but many others as well, and for the nation's elected leaders. Not another foot. That's what President Biden said. The U.S. can't wall ourselves off while a new taxpayer funded barrier is going up at his private beach home where you apparently can wall Americans in or out. In his case, win for taxpayers and voters. Stacey Abrams group has been ordered to pay nearly a quarter of a million dollars in legal costs. Ethnically insensitive, Arkansas Republican Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders still prohibits the use of the term Latinx, or rather will, in government documents through an executive order. Sanders, who was sworn in as the first female governor of Arkansas on Tuesday, justified the ban of the word Latinx in government documents and name titles by citing a Pew Research poll that found only 3% of American Latinos and Hispanics use the term to describe themselves. She went on to say ethnically insensitive and pejorative language has no place in official government documents or government employee titles. Negative consequences. Parents are concerned that a New Jersey media literacy class is being weaponized for political power. Reporter is threatening legal action against Adam Schiff after the Twitter files bombshell. Relationship under fire. Germany's longstanding effort to conduct business with the Islamic Republic of Iran include a a robust trade relationship at the time when the regime is reportedly killing at least 700 protesters and arrested as many as 19,000. Berlin is facing intense criticism for placating Tehran. The protests across Iran in response to the murder of a 22-year-old have pushed Germany's so-called feminist foreign policy into the spotlight. The regime's notorious morality police allegedly tortured Amini to death for failing to properly wear her mandatory hijab. The GOP voted to revoke, uh, revoke additional IRS funding as the White House threatened to veto the bill. On Monday night, the new GOP-dominated House voted to rescind more than $70 billion in funding for the Internal Revenue Service, threatening to kill the Biden administration's plans to dra- dramatically expand the tax collection bureaucracy. The measure succeeded with 221 Republicans voting in favor, 210 Democrats opposing. Spearheaded by Representative Adrian Smith and Michelle Steele, the bill targets the massive amounts of money allocated to the IRS and the deceptively named Inflation Reduction Act. We're going to take a break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. A reminder coming up in the second hour of today's program, Rabbi Schneider, host of Discovering the Jewish Jesus, heard Monday through Friday on our sister station, KPDQ AM, at 1030 in the morning and 9 o'clock at night. He's also the author of Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. He'll be joining us in the 5 o'clock hour. Oh, here we go. A House Republican has filed impeachment articles against the Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. The Washington Examiner reports that a House Republican has filed articles of impeachment against Mayorkas following through with a promise several GOP lawmakers made, uh, made rather before taking control of the lower chamber earlier this month. Pat Fallon, a representative out of Texas, introduced the articles 
in the House on Monday, accusing Mayorkas of committing high crimes and misdemeanors. The articles have been referred to the House Judiciary Committee for further action. Fallon's first articles allege that Mayorkas has failed to faithfully execute the Secure the Fence Act of 2006. The article says that law requires the Secretary of Homeland Security to maintain operational control over the entire international land and maritime borders of the United States. The second article alleges that Mayorkas, in violation of his constitutional oath, willfully provided um, perjurious, uh, false and misleading testimony to Congress. Speaker McCarthy has confirmed he will uh, be removing several Democrats from committees. The House Speaker reportedly promised over the past couple of years that when the GOP took control of the House, he would remove the representatives Andy Schiff, a Democrat from California, Eric Swalwell from California, and Ilhan Omar from Minnesota, all Democrats from their respective committees. McCarthy has followed through on that promise. On Monday, McCarthy confirmed Omar would be removed from the Foreign Affairs Committee and that Schiff and Swalwell would be kicked off the Intelligence Committee. Swalwell has been uh, under scrutiny by Republicans after it was reported in 2020 that a suspected Chinese spy had developed relationship with the California Democrat in what U.S. officials believe was an extensive political intelligence operation run by China between 2011 and 2015. The GOP drafted a resolution condemning violent uh, attacks against pro-life clinics. Well, it's refreshing that somebody is. A group of over 100 Republicans was co-sponsored or rather has co-sponsored a House resolution to condemn the violence, vandalism, and intimidation by pro-choice groups following last year's unprecedented leaks of the Supreme Court opinion overturning Roe v. Wade. Representative Mike Johnson, joined by about 100 GOP co-sponsors, announced the resolution on Tuesday morning. The congressman intends to bring the resolution to a vote on the floor today. Representative Mike Johnson Uh, says that the uh, members have co-sponsored the resolution condemning the nationwide wave of violence, vandalism, and intimidation. In the wake of the uh, Supreme Court decision, we will pass this long-overdue resolution in the House tomorrow. Thus far, no one has been held responsible for those actions across the country. A GOP-led effort to form a committee to investigate China passed with massive bipartisan support. See, it's still possible. House Republicans moved Tuesday to swiftly establish the marquee investigations of their new majority, voting to create panels focused on China and what they assert is rampant abuse of power in the federal government. Newly empowered GOP lawmakers are vowing to bring accountability to the administration, pledging to investigate federal law enforcement agencies. Republicans also established a committee with broad bipartisan support to investigate strategic competition between the U.S. and China. The House has passed the resolution creating that committee. The vote, 365 to 65. Governor Kathy Hochul is proposing a ban on gas heaters and appliances in New York. So will New Yorkers just freeze in the winter? Bloomberg reports that Governor Hochul is proposing to make New York the first state in the U.S. to ban natural gas heating and appliances in new buildings. The latest salvo in an ongoing nationwide fight over the fuel. Hochul called during her State of the Union address, State of the State address, rather, Tuesday, to ban the use of fossil fuels by 2025 for newly built smaller structures and 2028 for larger ones. New York would also prohibit the sale of any new fossil fuel heating systems starting in 2030. Republicans have introduced legislation to protect babies in botched abortions. Life News reports that House Republicans have introduced new legislation that would stop infanticide and protect babies who survive abortion. 
This is a similar measure to one the pro-abortion former Speaker Nancy Pelosi blocked 80 times, eight zero times when she ran the House. It would also penalize doctors who allow such infants to die or who intentionally kill a newborn following a failed abortion. The Born Alive Act ensures that infants born alive after an attempted abortion receive the same protection of law and degree of care as any newborn. It's really quite shocking to me that this is even a point of discussion, that this is something that has to be legislated on. This is how far we have come as a culture. Family Research Council weighs in after four years of trying to force a vote on the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. Republicans are finally in a position to hold one themselves. The House is scheduled to vote today on that act. The Pentagon has officially done away with COVID vaccine mandates. As mentioned earlier, the Pentagon formally dropped its COVID-19 vaccination mandate on Tuesday. But a new memo signed by the defense secretary also gives commanders some discretion and how or whether to deploy troops who are not vaccinated. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders signed an executive order doing away with critical race theory in schools. Republican Arkansas governor, who was sworn in on Tuesday, her first official day in office, said that she would combat critical race theory in schools across the state. The executive order will empower the Department of Education to prevent indoctrination and CRT of Arkansas students that conflict with principles of equal protection under the law. The order will also prohibit employees and students from having to attend CRT trainings and orientations or indoctrination, as some have referred to them. The order makes a point of noting that it is not prohibiting the discussion of ideas or historical topics that may relate to protected classes or civil rights. In a poll, Democrats believe corporations should make their political beliefs known as if a corporation were a singular entity. But Americans, according to Gallup, are divided about whether businesses should take a public stance on political and social issues, with 48 percent believing they should and 52 percent saying they should not. Apparently, the. uh, Businesses themselves are not to be given the final say in whether or not they choose to. Democrats are more likely than Republicans and independents to feel businesses should publicly share their beliefs about social and cultural issues. Seventy five percent of Democrats say that they believe about uh, they should compare. uh, They should rather compare to 40 percent of independents and 18 percent of Republicans. The survey comes after national controversy and poor performance has greeted a number of businesses that made public stances on contentious cultural matters. President Biden made a statement on the classified documents found at his Washington think tank after initially staying mum regarding the revelation that classified documents from his time serving as vice president were discovered at his Washington think tank. The president on Tuesday finally addressed the scandal. The president said that he was surprised while at the same time asserting that he takes classified documents or classified information seriously. He then acknowledged that the documents had indeed been discovered. I don't know what's in the documents and he doesn't want to know. My lawyers have not suggested that I uh, ask what they are. He turned over the boxes and we are cooperating fully. The president went on to say they did discover today some additional classified documents at another location. In other words, the president said, I don't know, I I didn't know I had classified documents and we're giving them back, so it's no big deal. Of course, that was not the message Biden expressed when he lambasted former President Trump as being totally irresponsible after after classified documents were found at his Mar-a-Lago estate, which, by the way, was being protected by the Secret Service as opposed to an office that was not. With Trump under the DOJ investigation over his having held classified documents, his Republicans House Republicans announced on Tuesday that they're launching a probe into Biden's classified document scandal. 
So we probably won't have a budget on time this year either. The Biden administration has acknowledged it axed 59,000 jobs. When Joe Biden killed the Keystone XL pipeline as one of his first acts upon taking office, Republicans loudly objected that doing so would damage the American economy and cost thousands of jobs, even as the U.S. was struggling to overcome a global pandemic. The president, bowing to the environmental left, eliminated the pipeline with a stroke of a pen while asserting that any jobs lost would only be temporary and the green energy sector would quickly make up the difference. Well, now, two years later, the president's Department of Energy is admitting that those jobs lost ended up being uh, more significant and the economic cost higher than Biden had so rosily asserted at the time. The Department of Energy found that killing Keystone XL resulted in 59,000 lost jobs and the cost to the U.S. economy of $9.6 billion in growth. To make matters worse, observed Senator Jim Risch, a Republican out of Idaho, his decision moved the U.S. further away from energy independence and lower gas prices at a time when inflation and gas prices are drastically impacting America's pocketbooks. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Coming up in our second hour, a conversation with Rabbi Schneider, host of Discovering the Jewish Jesus, heard on KPDQ AM at 10.30 a.m. in the morning and again at 9 p.m. at night, Monday through Friday. He'll be joining us to talk about his latest book, Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. He'll join us in the next hour of today's program. Well, Michigan's Muslim-majority city council has approved animal sacrifice for religious purposes. The matter was put up for a vote last month, but a ban was upheld. Well, the Detroit-area city on Tuesday voted to approve allowing residents to sacrifice animals at their homes for religious purposes. The uh, city council there, whose members are all Muslim, approved the practice 3-2 to two on Tuesday. The matter was put up for a vote in December, but city council members kept a ban in place. The issue was revisited this month after legal advice and objections from resident uh, Muslims. Uh, if somebody wants to do it, they have the right to do uh, their practice, the council members said. Muslims often slaughter animals, especially goats or sheep, during the holiday of uh, Eid. Uh, or pay someone to do it for them. Meat is shared with family, friends, and the poor. It's not something new or novel, said another of um, the council members. This is when Muslims recognize Abraham sacrificing a sheep instead of having to sacrifice his son in an apparent reference to the Quran and the Old Testament packet, a passage rather. Uh, the residents will be required to notify the city, pay a fee, and make their property available for inspection if they choose to engage in the practice. In other news, a bill to adjust uh, the Oregon-Idaho border was introduced to the Oregon Senate. The Greater Idaho Movement seeks to adjust the state lines to move several conservative eastern Oregon counties into Idaho. The Oregon State, uh, one Oregon State senator has introduced the bill advancing the cause of the so-called Greater Idaho Movement that seeks to adjust state lines to move several conservative-leaning eastern counties out of Oregon, arguing that Idaho would be a better political fit for them. If passed, uh, SJM2 would make any changes on its own. It's written as a, a memorandum inviting Idaho political leaders to talk about the idea. But the bill's chances of going anywhere in Oregon's Democrat-controlled state legislature? Eh, pretty slim. Oregon's 2023 legislative session doesn't officially begin until the 17th of this month. But SJM2 was one of several pre-session bills introduced this week after lawmakers gathered on Monday to be sworn in. The chief sponsor in the state Senate uh, is State Senator 
Dennis Alinchicum of uh, Klamath Falls. Uh, the bill states that voting patterns of Eastern Oregon have for many decades resembled voting patterns of Idaho, echoing a common argument from the greater Idaho movement. It states that 15 Oregon counties might vote on this issue and that 11 of them have already done so. Those 15 counties are not named in the bill, but the Greater Idaho Movement website separately lists them as Klamath, Lake, Harney, Malheur, Baker, Grant, Union, Wheeler, Morrow, Sherman, Jefferson, Wallawa, Umatilla, Gilliam, and Crook counties. The first 11 counties on that list have indeed all voted to approve symbolic ballot measures, expressing support for the Greater Idaho Plan, most recently Morrow County, and Wheeler County in November. Wallawa County voters rejected a greater Idaho ballot measure in 2020, although the movement claimed in a separate news release Tuesday to have gathered enough signatures for another attempt in May. Douglas, Josephine, and Klamath counties have also voted on greater Idaho ballot measures recently. The movement's phase two goal is to add southwest Oregon and part of northern California to Idaho, but only the Klamath measure passed According to the Oregonian, none of the ballot measures are in any way legally binding. The legislatures of both states and the federal legislature would have to sign off on any border adjustment. It is an interesting concept, however. XBB one point. Let's see. XBB point one point five. It's the new covid variant. It poses a new public health challenge. Dr. Katie Scharf with Kaiser Permanente said anyone who hasn't had COVID-19 should expect to get infected with this particular variant. Well, a new and highly transmissible COVID-19 strain, XBB.1.5, is making its way across the U.S., setting off a fresh wave of infections. Health officials don't yet have clinical data to know exactly how much protection of the existing booster vaccines uh, provide according to Dr. Sheriff of Kaiser Permanente, but there is evidence that being vaccinated will help people avoid severe symptoms. We do have good clinical data to suggest that a prior vaccination series with the original strain and the boosters appears to provide longstanding protection against severe disease and hospitalization, she said. But you will decide for yourself what you choose to do. Well, the world's largest aircraft fleet was grounded for hours by a cascading outage in government system That delayed or canceled thousands of flights across the U.S. today. The White House initially said that there was no evidence of a cyber attack behind the outage that ruined travel plans for millions of passengers. The president said this morning that he's directed the Department of Transportation to investigate whatever the cause. The outage revealed how dependent the world's largest economy is on air travel and how dependent air travel is on an antiquated computer system called the Notice to Air Missions. The FAA has now lifted the ground stop on flights. House Republicans are set to launch a probe into the weaponization of the FBI and other intel agencies. Speaker McCarthy bounced Representative Swalwell, Schiff and Omar from key committees. And newly sworn in Congressman George Santos will begin his first week in office facing a formal ethics complaint filed with the Federal Election Commission. In a civil complaint filed Monday, the nonprofit Campaign Legal Center accused Santos, a Republican from New York, of illegally using campaign funds for uh, personal expenses, including for an apartment rental and for submitting false information about both the sources of his campaign donations and his campaign's expenses. Ukrainian troops are heading to Oklahoma for Patriot missile training. And the Biden White House uh, hounded Facebook to censor Tucker Carlson, according to new emails. Experts 
now say fat kids should be maxed out on meds and surgeries instead of apparently going outside to play and not chugging soda. That's an interesting approach. While millions of illegal immigrants are allowed to pour across our southern border, U.S. citizens are being detained and fined thousands for using the wrong lane at the Mexican border. Gavin Newsom slashed his budget after turning a $98 billion surplus into a $22.5 billion deficit in a single year. And China cut a deal with the Taliban to extract oil in Afghanistan. And the world turns once again. Well, coming up after the top of the hour, and we'll um, have news and traffic coming up here momentarily, a conversation with Rabbi Schneider. He is a relatively new member of the KPDQ family on our AM station. His program, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, is heard Monday through Friday on KPDQ AM. Uh, That's 1030 in the morning and nine o'clock at night. So he's a, a member of the family. If you haven't listened to the program, I would encourage you to check it out. But also, uh, he is going to join us to talk about a book that he has written that was released just this week, Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. The book is published by Charisma House, and he'll join us to talk about that. And uh, we'll also talk about an article written by Nate Jackson this week about the National Faith League. He's referring, of course, to the NFL and efforts to pray for a teammate who was injured last week. It's been rather interesting, an interesting moment in our nation's history and certainly in uh, national uh, sports. We'll talk a bit about that and what Nate Jackson saw as an important facet of this whole uh, undertaking. So we'll look forward to that. Also, I want to remind you that next weekend, if you can believe it, is Mission Connection. Yeah, it's that time of year again, the 20th and 21st. So we're looking forward to another great conference to which you are invited. It is, as you might recall, free of charge, but you do need to um, register to attend. That helps us to keep track of who's coming and going and so on. Make sure there are sufficient materials and everything free of charge, underwritten by local area churches. You can go to kpdq.com for uh, all the important details on how to register. It's very simple. Again, it's Friday and Saturday, Friday night, January the 20th and all day Saturday at Sunset Church. The theme this year is Here I Am, What Next? You can learn all about what's happening on cutting edge um, mission work. There are workshops and exhibits, speakers. It's going to be a great weekend. So I hope you'll plan to join us again. Get all the important details at kpdq.com. All right. We've got news and traffic coming here at the top of the hour. And when we return, a little uh, continuation of the news and a conversation with Rabbi Schneider on his book, Messianic Prophecy Revealed, seeing Messiah in the pages of the Hebrew Bible. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. We're glad to have you with us. Well, Rabbi Schneider will be my guest in the next couple of segments. He's the host of Discovering the Jewish Jesus. You may have heard the program Monday through Friday, either at 1030 a.m. or 9 p.m., on our sister station, KPDQAM. But he's also the author of Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. The book was just released this week. We'll talk with him about that when he joins us in our next couple of segments. Again, Rabbi Schneider will be our guest. So stick around for that. Also, we'll talk in the uh, last segment of today about the National Faith League, the NFL. Yeah, the NFL. You might have noticed they took a knee suddenly, Upon the injury of one of the players, it was okay to pray at the 50-yard line at a professional football game. We'll talk more about that 
Nate Jackson had some interesting perspective on the subject, and we'll cover that at the end of today's program. Well, you may not have known, but the technology used to track suspects in the January 6th attack is now being employed by at least 20 state and local police departments all over the country. And it's often being done without warrants, without court hearings or subpoenas. Civil libertarians are protesting the government's use of this new mass surveillance technology. And in some cases, they're filing lawsuits. But so far, they've been unable to stop it. Well, what am I talking about? It's called Fog Reveal. The system vacuums up billions of bits of consumer location data that authorities are able to correlate with timestamp information to determine exactly where virtually anyone was at any given time. And once police know a suspect's cell phone number, they can monitor his or her behavior for days, for weeks, to determine where they live, where they shop, where they worship. They can deduce who their neighbors, paramours, and associates are. Location data has been especially sought after the uh, following the January 6th uprising as authorities tried to identify potential suspects who traveled to Washington, D.C. and were at or near the U.S. Capitol building. Some were never at the Capitol building. They were just near it. Well, the Associated Press reports that police have used Fog Reveal, designed by the Virginia-based firm Fog Data Science, LLC, to scoop up billions of location records from more than 250 million smartphones. Well, the existence of this surveillance system was discovered after the Electronic Frontier Foundation filed more than 100 public information requests with various agencies. And it discovered that a secretive company based in Northern Virginia was selling mass surveillance data to local law enforcement. Rather than issue subpoenas to major Internet and cell phone providers to determine which phone numbers were pinging specific cell phone towers, police can simply purchase Fog Reveal's uh, uh, internet-based application for less than $10,000. Well, Fog Reveal relies on data gathered by opt-in location tracking services. Note, opt-in. Many common mobile applications, including Waze and Starbucks, solicit customer permission to continually collect data about their location. Innocent enough. Hmm. Well, consumers are often unaware that this data can be sold to marketers who may resell it to retailers for advertising appeals based on location or interest. Well, legislation has been introduced in Congress that could curb the mass collection of this consumer data, particularly by law enforcement without a subpoena. But the technologies are changing so quickly that civil libertarians may find themselves playing a high tech game of whack-a-mole or catch up or keep up. Well, Fog Reveal system apparently works by purchasing vast quantities of data that sophisticated software systems display at the command of a keystroke. Investigators can punch in a cell phone number and follow all the phone's movements over a specific period. Also, police can designate an area, say a convenience store, and receive data on every smartphone that entered that space during a given time frame when the crime occurred. State police, highway patrols, sheriff's departments, city police agencies, they can use that data to determine who was near the scene when a crime occurred. But the data could also be used to determine who visited a specific church, who met with a group at the local pool hall, or which cell phones stopped by a local gun show. Well, according to the AP, Fog Data Science um, managing partner Matthew Broderick He stated in an email that the data service helps police solve human trafficking and missing persons cases. These departments are often behind in technology adoption, he stated. Uh, We fill a gap for underfunded and understaffed departments. What was that, James? I missed that signal. Okay, got it. 
But civil libertarians and privacy advocates say that high tech tools that indiscriminately report user data to law enforcement, often without a warrant um, to obtain it, is a serious threat to civil rights. Uh, Among them um, stands Mike Howell. He's the director of the Oversight Project. Uh, which was launched by the Heritage Foundation earlier this year to hold federal, state, and local governments more accountable. Well, he joined Heritage after a stint at the Department of Homeland Security's Office of General Counsel. Well, Howell is worried about possible abuse of a somewhat similar data collection system used by federal law enforcement called Babel X. The Pentagon and the FBI have reportedly used Babel X to monitor chatter among potential terrorists. And when you consider how terrorists are broadly defined in our country today, you may be identified as one if you're a homeschooling parent or you attend church. But Howell is concerned the system could be used to target conservatives as well. In July, following reports of DHS plans to launch a disinformation governance board, which has since been scuttled with outcry from conservatives and privacy advocates, the Oversight Project filed a lawsuit against the Department of Homeland Security. Well, the lawsuit... It seeks public disclosure of documents that would reveal what DHS intends to do with the mass surveillance data that it does receive from Babel Street and Babel X provider. Well, according to Howell, the government's use of privacy, or rather private industries, high tech tools to track its enemies, foreign and domestic, is growing. When state, local and federal agencies want information that would exceed their constitutional powers, he says, they're increasingly apt at, to, to outsource mass data collection to private firms. Howell is hoping the next Congress will pass legislation reining in federal, state, and local use of private mass surveillance data, but that remains to be seen. Civil libertarians on both the right and the left agree that everyday Americans are largely oblivious to just how incredibly powerful new t- high-tech surveillance tools have become. Among them, Gate recognition, and that's G-A-I-T recognition. If facial recognition raises concerns, wait until authorities are able to identify you rather by the way you walk. Your stride, pace, sway, and balance are almost as, as unique as your fingerprint. Just putting on a hoodie and a mask will no longer keep you anonymous. Then there's floor-embedded sensors. Uh, gate recognition relies on cameras and Uh, As miniaturized as they have become, cameras are still detectable to the practiced eye. But with floor-embedded sensors, biometric tracking becomes so subtle as to be nearly undetectable. By measuring stride cadence, heel-to-toe shift time, and other factors, researchers using a deep neural network can recognize individuals with more than 99% accuracy. And then there's heartbeat monitoring. Your cardiopulmonary function is as unique as your Well, your retinal scan. But surely, if someone were monitoring your heartbeat, presumably with electrodes, you'd know it, right? Well, not necessarily. Wired reports that way back in June of 2019, the Pentagon revealed a laser-based system that can detect your heart signature at up to 200 meters away, as long as you're not wearing a heavy jacket. So you might want to invest in a heavy jacket. It's a brave new world that we live in, but... God's not surprised. He's got you. On this time in um, on this day in history, I should say, 1861, Alabama becomes the fourth state to withdraw from the Union. 1908, President Theodore Roosevelt proclaims the Grand Canyon a national monument. It would become a national park in 1919. 
1913, the first enclosed sedan-type automobile, a Hudson, goes on display at the 13th National Automobile Show in New York. 1935, aviator Amelia Earhart begins an 18-hour trip from Honolulu to Oakland, California, that would make her the first person to fly solo across any part of the Pacific Ocean. 1939, British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain and Lord Halifax, the British Foreign Secretary, meet with Italian leader Benito Mussolini in Rome. You probably know how that story ends. 1964, U.S. Surgeon General Luther Terry issues Smoking and Health. It's a report that concludes that cigarette smoking contributes substantially to mortality from certain specific diseases and to the overall death rate. 1977, France sets off an international uproar by releasing Abu Daoud, a PLO official, behind the massacre of Israeli athletes in the 1972 Munich Olympics. 78, Two Soviet cosmonauts aboard the Soyuz 27 capsule link up with the Salyut 6 orbiting space station where the Soyuz 26 capsule was already docked. 1989, nine days before leaving the White House, President Ronald Reagan bids the nation farewell in a primetime address saying of his eight years in office, we meant to change a nation and instead we changed the world. And finally, 2018, Walmart announces that it is boosting its starting salary for U.S. workers and handing out bonuses on the same day the company confirms it's closing dozens of Sam's Club's warehouse stores. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, a conversation with Rabbi Schneider, author of Messianic Prophecy Revealed. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. The biblical and historical story of Yeshua, King Jesus, is bigger, it's grander, and it's more beautiful than many of us have ever imagined. So says my next guest, who would know as a rabbi. God has been painting a, a picture, has been pointing to his son as savior of the world for thousands of years in his word. And yet many of us struggle to connect the dots. Well, I am delighted that our next guest will help us do that with a book that is uh, just released this week. I'm referring to Rabbi Schneider. He is the host of the popular TV and radio broadcast, Discovering the Jewish Jesus. For more than 30 years, Rabbi Schneider has been teaching people how Jesus fulfilled messianic prophecy and completes the unfolding plan of the Messiah. Rabbi Schneider is the author of several books, including Rivers of Revelation, The Lion of Judah, the Book of Revelation Decoded, and Awakening to Messiah. Rabbi Schneider is the host of Discovering the Jewish Jesus Heard Weekdays here on our sister station, KPDQ AM, at 1030 AM and at 9 PM weekdays, and is the author of the book we'll be talking about today, Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. Rabbi Schneider, thank you so much for joining us today. Good to make your acquaintance, Georgine. Boy, you really, uh, you really, you, you sold me on that introduction. That sounded really fabulous. <laughs> well, it is a fabulous book, and you're a great guest. I'm just delighted to have you with us. I always love to hear the story of how uh, men and women come to faith in Christ, and I think our listeners might assume, based on your uh, your moniker, Rabbi uh, Schneider, that you studied uh, the Hebrew language, that you grew up as a serious Jew, and came to recognize Christ through the scriptures, but you came through a much more circuitous route, as is the case for many, if not most of us. Can you tell us a little bit about how you as a Jew came to faith in Jesus? Well, it definitely uh, is somewhat unusual in the sense that Jesus actually appeared to me in a vision in the middle of the night in 1978. I knew nothing about Jesus. Uh, Jesus was as far away to me, Georgine, as the man on the moon 
we grew up in a very Jewish neighborhood. Uh, you make a, a good point in the sense that most Jewish people are secular and thoroughly identify with being Jewish, and it defines their identity. But when it comes to relating their Jewishness to a specific walk with God, most Jewish people, as I indicated, don't view their Jewishness as something that's religious. They view it more in terms of a cultural identity. So this was kind of the environment I grew up in. I actually grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Beechwood, which has been listed as having the second highest concentration Mm -hmm. of Jews anywhere in the world outside of Israel. Not as many numerically as in Los Angeles, New York, but in terms of the closeness and the proximity and and the volume of Jewish people living in isolation, that's kind of the, 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 the type of environment I was raised in. Our schools were actually closed on the Jewish holidays, public schools closed on Jewish holidays because no one would be there. So um, growing up in this environment, Jesus, as I indicated, was completely removed from my universe. I mean, I never thought about Jesus. He never entered my mind. But I was at a point in life where I was lost in searching. I was 20 years old, and I was in the midst of having an identity crisis. I was a really committed athlete in high school, got a small wrestling scholarship to college. But the moment I walked up that wrestling mat, Georgine, after wrestling that last match in high school, even though I knew I was going off to college and had a wrestling scholarship to wrestle there, somehow I realized that wrestling was over in an instant. It was like the world was pulled out from underneath my feet. Because when I looked forward, I saw that I could not just focus on people that wrestled my weight class anymore. That could no longer be my world. I was leaving home, and I was now uh, uh, in the process of becoming a responsible adult, adult, And it wasn't about wrestling anymore. And so my identity kind of was shattered at that point. And I realized that I was not in control. I used to be in control. On the wrestling mat, I was in control. And my world was people that wrestled my weight class. I was in control there. But now I was going into the real world. I wasn't in control. So I was really struggling. And to make a long story short, uh, being in this state of uh, loss of identity, searching for two years, I went to sleep one night. Again, no one had ever witnessed to me. No one had ever talked to me about Jesus. He he was just, you know, just didn't exist really in terms of my my own personal experience. Mm -hmm. But on a hot August night at 20 years old, Jesus appeared to me in the middle of the night and I came to faith in an instant. That is such a remarkable story, although I'm hearing in places where Christian witness is not available that this is a. Uh, a way that many, particularly in the Middle East, are coming to faith in Christ. So it's not surprising, especially if you know the scriptures, that God would appear in such a way. At what point did you connect this Jesus that appeared to you in a dream to the Messiah that would have at least been um, fairly familiar, given your Jewish background? Yeah. So what happened was, as I indicated, I was lost and struggling when he came to me in a vision of the night. I was 3.30 in the morning. I got up, went to the restroom, went back to bed. But immediately, hope came into my heart. I knew from that vision that God had just revealed himself to me. I knew enough as an American to know the person on the cross was Jesus. That's all I knew. But I knew that God had just revealed himself to me and showed me that Jesus was the way. So I started telling everybody about this experience. And eventually, it got back to me that I should go get a New Testament. So I went and got a New Testament, started devouring the Word of God. And at that point, I began slowly to put the pieces together, how Jesus is actually the fulfillment of the Hebrew Bible. Your decision to become a follower of Jesus, who had revealed himself to you first in a dream and then in his word, was an mm-hmm. unpopular idea. And it was very costly for you to 
continue to embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior? Yes, it's, there's definitely there's definitely been a price to pay. I actually talk about my full experience in my autobiography. It's called Called to Breakthrough. It's available on Amazon. And my parents, for example, Georgine, I hired the most famous deprogrammer in the country at the time. His name is Ted Patrick. They actually flew him into Cleveland, where we were living, from California, along with his two bodyguards. And my dad told me that we were going to go meet somebody about purchasing a restaurant. So we got to the hotel where we were going to be meeting this uh, guy, supposedly about purchasing a restaurant. And instead, what happened is I walked into the room, the doors closed behind me, and the head to programmer looked at me and said, you've been living like a normal person for 20 years, and all of a sudden you're giving all your money away to the church and reading all the, the Bible all the time, and I consider it a personal challenge. I'm going to snap you out of this thing. And so they basically abducted me. They uh, took me from there to California where they had a rehabilitation house set up. And they thought that just by getting me out of the environment of whoever they thought was programming me, that I'd snap out of it. But, of course, there was no one programming me. And, um, you know, uh, it didn't really affect anything in terms of my following Jesus. Well, fast forward 30 years, you have been uh, teaching from the scriptures. You're a broadcaster, both in radio and television. You've been teaching people how Jesus fulfilled Messianic uh, prophecy. Why is messianic prophecy so important? Not just just for someone with a Jewish background, but for mm-hmm. anyone who has an interest in uh, who Jesus is in the broader sense and how uh, he is revealed to us in Scripture. Not just in the New Testament, where Jesus Himself and the disciples made reference to the Old Testament. Uh, but why is it important for us to understand messianic prophecy? Well, good question, Georgine. Thanks for asking. I think there's a number of different reasons. I would say the first reason is because many people identify themselves as Christians. They believe they're Christians. But if push came to shove, if you ask them if Jesus was the only way to heaven, they're Mm -hmm. not really convinced of that. They're not convinced that their next-door neighbor that doesn't believe in Jesus but is such a good person they don't believe that their next-door neighbor is really going to go to hell for, for not believing in Jesus. And they don't believe that the Muslim or take any other world religion, they look at somebody that practices another world religion that seems to be sincere, that seems to be devout, that seems to be religious, they, they can't bring themselves to believe or to say that God would send these people to hell. What people don't understand is when they have a position like that, they don't understand how Jesus fulfilled the Hebrew Bible, especially right now, to the point in terms of what the Hebrew Bible reveals to us about blood. You see, people that aren't convinced that Jesus is the only way, they don't understand his uniqueness as a, as a Savior based upon the fact that he alone shed his blood for the guilty. And you look in the Hebrew Bible, and you see that the means by which God redeemed Israel was through blood. They applied the blood on their doorpost at Passover, and when judgment moved through Egypt, Israel was passed over judgment. Then God brought them to the, in the wilderness at Sinai, where Moses, of course, went up the mountain, and the Lord gave him the law. Moses came down the mountain, spoke the law to the Jewish people. They said, all that the Lord has commanded, we will do. They said yes to the covenant, and then Moses sprinkled them with blood. And then the Lord gave Moses the Jewish holy days, and the highest of which is called Yom Kippur, which I'm sure our audience has heard of, the Day of mm-hmm. Atonement. It was all about the priest, the high priest, bringing into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, the blood of a bull and the blood of a goat, and sprinkling it on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And the Lord said, for the life of the flesh, in Leviticus 17:11 is in the blood, and I've given it to you on the altar to make an atonement 
for your soul, for it's the blood by reason of its life that makes atonement. So people that think that Jesus is, you know, a, a good path for me, but they're uncomfortable pushing him on somebody else, they don't understand that it's the blood of Jesus alone that can atone for man's sins. So being rooted in the Hebrew Bible will strengthen people to believe in the exclusive claims of Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but through me. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation. Uh, When we return, I want to talk a little bit about some of the ways that we misunderstand the nature of messianic prophecy. In fact, you make the statement that understanding messianic prophecy is often more of an art than a science. And we'll uh, delve into that in just a, a bit when we return. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, talking with Rabbi Schneider. He's the host of Discovering the Jewish Jesus, heard on our sister station, KPDQ AM, in the morning at 1030 and at night, 9 p.m., Monday through Friday. <clears throat> and the author of the book we're discussing today, Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. We'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Rabbi Schneider, host of Discovering the Jewish Jesus here on KPDQ AM and author of Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, we oftentimes, um, as we're studying the scriptures in the New Testament, uh, we see that um, Jesus is made reference to as the uh, Messiah, but we find it somewhat confusing. What are some of the things that we misunderstand in our effort as uh, followers of Jesus to understand the nature of messianic prophecy? Sometimes a prophetic word doesn't seem prophetic from our 21st century American Gentile eyes. Well, that's a really good question. I was recently at a church and the pastor got up to the pulpit and he said, Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies from the Hebrew Bible, and the chance of him doing that, fulfilling 300 prophecies, is astronomically impossible. In other words, he was making a case that there were 300 predictions in the Hebrew Bible, and that Jesus fulfilled all these 300 predictions like the, in a way that you could scientifically measure that they were fulfilled. For example, if Nostradamus said, you know, in the year 1100, whatever, I'm just making up the dates here, mm-hmm. but in, in the year 1150, there's going to be an earthquake in this part of the world on this date. And then sure enough, there was an earthquake that happened in that part of the world on that date. You could measure that. Wow. He said it, it really happened. So when a pastor gets up and says that Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies from the Hebrew Bible, and the chances of him doing that are impossible unless he was God. So what they're making is a statement that Jesus fulfilled prophecies that are scientifically measurable. But the reality is sometimes the New Testament writers, when they said that Jesus fulfilled certain Old Testament prophecies, it wasn't in a way that could be scientifically measured. So, for example, in Matthew's Gospel, early and right away in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 2, we know the story, Jesus is born, and Herod hears that the Messiah had been born, so he makes an edict to kill the Hebrew infants. And so in light of this, an angel appears to Joseph, Jesus's father, and tells Joseph, take the child, Jesus, into Egypt to spare Jesus's life so that Jesus isn't killed by Herod's army. So Joseph takes Jesus into Egypt, and then eventually Herod dies. Most scholars estimate that Jesus was between two to four years old when Herod died. Then the angel comes back to Joseph and says to Joseph, okay, take the child, take Jesus back into Israel now. And so Matthew records this story, and then he says that the scripture might be fulfilled, 
out of Egypt did I call my son. So that's the scripture that Matthew says is being fulfilled here. Out of Egypt did I call my son. Well, there's only one place in the Tanakh or the Hebrew Bible, Georgine and our listening audience, where that scripture is used, out of Egypt I call my son. It's in the book of Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1. So when you go to Hosea chapter 11, verse 1, based on reading the fact that Matthew said that the scripture would be fulfilled, you would anticipate that there was going to be some type of predictive prophecy that Hosea was making, like when the Messiah comes, uh, God, he's going to be born in Egypt or something, and God is going to call him out of that bondage. You would anticipate based on Matthew's use of the word that the scripture might be fulfilled, that when we go to Hosea, we can see clearly that Hosea is making a prediction. But in reality, when you read Hosea 11:1, Hosea is not making a prediction. He's just recounting Israel's past, that out of Egypt did I call my son. He's just actually talking about the Exodus experience, what the Lord did in times past by delivering Israel out of Egypt. And so then you say, well, how, how is this a fulfillment of scripture? So the way that Hosea is using that is not that Jesus fulfilled a predictive prophecy there, but that he filled that scripture or Israel's history up with meaning by repeating in his own life the thing that Israel went through. So even as Israel was in Egypt and then was called out into Israel, so also Yeshua, God's son, spent time in Egypt and was called out of Egypt into Israel, thus filling that scripture and Israel's history up with meaning. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. We're talking with Rabbi Schneider. He's the author most recently of Messianic Prophecy Revealed, Seeing Messiah in the Pages of the Hebrew Bible. How is the book intended to be read from cover to cover, uh, from one prophetic uh, word in in Old Testament to another? How do you uh, see this book helping us to better understand Messianic prophecy? Well, first of all, let me say that the example that I just gave Mm -hmm. is only one type of messianic prophecy. There also are predictive prophecies. For example, we read in the book of Micah that out of Bethlehem, a ruler will be born whose goings forth are from eternity. So that's a very specific prophecy that the Messiah, the ruler of the world, is going to come out of Bethlehem, which is where Jesus was born at. And not only that, but Micah illuminates the fact here that Messiah is not just a man, like rabbinic Judaism believes today, but Messiah is actually God clothed in humanity from eternity. So I want to say that there are different streams of messianic prophecy, and I cover all those streams in the book. So it's not that the book has to be read all at once, but the chapters are short enough. Mm-hmm. That you just read, you know, one chapter at a time, and when you're done with the chapter, which are pretty easy to read, you're done, you pick it up again, you know, the next day or whatever, or you continue on. You know, I'm a believer. I've walked with Jesus for many years. But when I when I look at Messianic prophecy and as you've written it in your book, I am continually um, encouraged and reassured of the validity of the claim that Jesus is the Messiah. And the scriptures are so clear if we if we understand how to read and understand them, which is what your book uh, helps us to do, helps the reader to do. Yes, and there's also such beauty for people that really love God and, you know, they, they feel like they haven't learned anything new for a while. When they discover the Jewish roots of their faith and Messianic mm-hmm. prophecy is, is part of that, it's sometimes like they're born again. I mean, we know they're not born again, literally. They're only born again once, but they're like love for the Lord. Their passion yes. for the Lord feels like it did, you know, when they first got saved. So there's a lot of beauty and richness in seeing Jesus in the Hebrew Bible.
No, you're so right. There's so many facets of this walk of faith that unless we have our Bibles open, we have resources like this one, Messianic Prophecy Revealed. Uh, we're missing out on the joy of uh, one revelation after the other that's uh, given to us in God's word that reminds us, reassures us, that gives us hope and um, uh, a place to to look up as we walk through the difficulties in this life. So I so appreciate your calling us back to a, a deeper understanding of what God's revealed in his word. Do you have messianic uh, prophetic um, words that um, are most uh, favorable to you that you especially enjoy? Um, well, Isaiah 53 is very, very powerful. Mm. That's probably the most well-known messianic scripture, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to go there just simply because many people are familiar with it, but that is, that is definitely like the, the, the foundation of everything. I love the, the, uh, the famous Jewish story that everyone's familiar with, but there's something that most of us have missed. It's the story of Abraham offering up Isaac. You know, if you look at a picture of Abraham offering up Isaac, most of us, if we recall seeing a picture of that illustrated, Isaac is pictured as a young boy there, you know, maybe seven or eight years old. But according to Jewish tradition, Isaac was actually 37 years old when Isaac offered him up. And when you consider the story through that lens, it puts a whole other level Mm. of meaning on the story, that it's not just Abraham that's the hero of the story for being willing to offer up his only son. But Isaac also becomes a hero of the story, a grown man, 37 years old, that's willing to offer up his life in obedience to the Father as a sacrifice. And so, of course, this is a picture of God the Father and his son, Yeshua, who also offered up his life unto his Father in obedience. Um, I, I just love that story. According to Jewish tradition, that act actually opened up the world to the grace of God. Mm-hmm. According to, to, to Jewish tradition, the grace of God was largely shut off from the entire planet, Georgine, until Abraham offered up Isaac. And similarly, of course, the grace of God has been largely shut off from the world until Yeshua himself offered up his own life into, into obedience to the Father. Well, there's so many um, wonderful uh, ways that uh, Jesus, the Messiah, fulfilled pro- uh, the prophecy um, the blood that you made mention of earlier, the multidimensional nature of God, which you mm-hmm. cover in Messianic Prophecy Reveal, the Jewish holidays, which I think many of us view with some mystery. Uh, this book helps us to better understand the connection and the substitutionary sacrificial atonement made on our behalf by Jesus himself. This is a great resource for us to draw nearer to him by having a deeper understanding of and appreciation for what Christ has done for us and what the word teaches us. I so appreciate your writing it to help bring us deeper. Amen. Well, it's available on Amazon, and I think your station is giving away some free copies as well. And it's a blessing uh, to be able to spend some time with you today, Georgine, and I appreciate your passion. Absolutely. Just briefly, for listeners who haven't yet heard your program, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, give us a little taste of what they can expect. Well, my mission really is to uh, help people understand how the Old Testament that we call in Hebrew the Tanakh and the New Testament fit together like a hand in a glove and to help people get grounded in their faith of, in Jesus. You know, Yeshua said in John 4 to the woman at the well, we know we worship for salvation is from the Jews. And the first book of the New Testament, Matthew 1.1, first verse of the New Testament, Matthew 1.1, begins by saying, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of 
David, the son of Abraham. So the very first verse in the New Testament begins by bringing the reader Mm -hmm. back to the Torah and the Old Testament. So God must think it's pretty important for believers to understand their faith in Yeshua from a Hebraic or Jewish perspective, because it grounds us. Absolutely. And once again, that program can be heard weekdays uh, at 1030 a.m. and 9 o'clock p.m. Monday through Friday on KPDQ AM. And I would highly encourage you to check it out. I think you'll be um, blessed and encouraged. Well, Rabbi Schneider, thank you so much for uh, joining the KPDQ family and for spending time with us here today. Blessings to you, my friend. God bless you, my sister. God bless you as well. Again, Rabbi Schneider, host of Discovering the Jewish Jesus, heard on our sister station, KPDQ AM. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. I appreciated an article I read by Nate Jackson uh, writing for the Patriot Post in which the headline read, The National Faith League. Of course, he's referring to the NFL. We had just a brief moment in which praying at the 50-yard line, praying at a national football game was actually encouraged. When uh, Buffalo Bills safety DeMar Hamlin collapsed on the field during Monday night football last week, the nation immediately took notice. A healthy 24-year-old in the prime of his life made a routine football play, got up to return to his position for the next one, and suddenly dropped to the ground due to what we later learned was cardiac arrest. After seemingly eternal minutes of CPR and resuscitation efforts, Hamlin was taken by ambulance rather to a Cincinnati hospital that he walked again on Friday and was transferred to the ICU yesterday to convalesce back in Buffalo is a, a testament to the quick and effective medical attention he received and also to the prayers of millions of people. By the way, he's been released from the hospital uh, there um, in Buffalo and is apparently back home. He goes on. Hamlin, you see, is a Christian man who believes, as we do, in the healing power of prayer. No, God doesn't always heal people. That's a sad reality of living in the world he created. But that was and remains marred by human sin. Yet his grace, his grace does show up in our lives, including an occasional miracle, if only we choose to see it. Glory to God, said Bill's head coach, Sean McDermott, last Thursday, for his keeping DeMar and his family in the palm of his hand over the last couple of days and his healing powers, end quote. Doctors say Hamlin is neurologically intact, showing remarkable improvement, though he has a ways to go and his football future is uncertain. Given that his life was uncertain last Monday night, we suspect he'll take it. Well, at the risk of getting too spiritual, we'll summarize Deuteronomy 8. When you've reached the promised land and have flocks and herds and wealth, When you have everything you ever wanted, take care lest you forget the Lord your God. Americans in general are among the richest people ever to live on God's green earth. And not not many among us are as materially and physically blessed as NFL players. America has also increasingly forgotten the Lord. Christianity is in decline and the devastating results are, well, everywhere. We all are guilty of sometimes thinking we've got everything under control only to suddenly realize in crisis how very not true that is. The sight of athletic, strong and fit man, men in general, so distraught and kneeling in prayer for their stricken friend because it was all they could do was one of the more powerful images of human frailty we can imagine. That millions of Americans so readily joined them is a testament to deep truth that we're often too slow to acknowledge. 
Those prayers didn't just go up during the hushed silence in the stadium last Monday night. They continued all week and were a common sight during this past weekend's NFL games. Prayers for DeMar was a phrase seen almost everywhere. Even the New York Times featured a story about how Christianity is embedded in NFL culture. Mm. ESPN analyst uh, Dan Orlovsky, a former NFL quarterback, led a prayer during a live broadcast. God, we come to you in these moments that we don't understand, he prayed. We pray for strength for DeMar, for healing for DeMar, for comfort for DeMar, to be with his family, to give them peace. I believe in prayer. We believe in prayer. And we lift up DeMar Hamlin's name in your name. This is on ESPN Live. His fellow commentators agreed with an amen. Prayer is officially having a moment in the NFL, observed commentator Megan Basham. Well, prayer is also often derided, not just in the NFL, but elsewhere. Think of the last mass shooting and the smug leftists who angrily rejected all your meaningless thoughts and prayers. Speaking of shootings, it's interesting to see the attention given to one NFL player when some number of young black men were gunned down by other young black men over the same weekend. We ought to pray, not just for DeMar, and I'm grateful that we did, but for others as well. It wasn't long ago that NFL players were mocked for taking a knee to pray, while others were celebrated for taking a knee to protest the national anthem of the very country that made them wealthy and privileged. Football coaches have been fired from public schools for leading prayer, which is largely unwelcome in the public sphere. When people are suddenly disabused of any notion of their own sovereignty, however, they sometimes do know exactly where to turn. Unfortunately, coming together doesn't happen universally, even in um, Hamlin's case. Arguments and tempers flared over COVID vaccines in both directions or how the NFL was handling the uh, the game. Emotions ran high and people were hateful and rude, even in the face of harrowing adversity. Even so, it's encouraging to see, if only for a moment, a nation come together in prayer for one individual. A similar thing happened after 9-11 and other intense events. Our task now is to work toward making that moment last longer and come more frequently that more than any policy or politician would actually heal what ails us. As former NFL coach Tony Dungy put it, and he is a believer as well, as I walked this morning, I thanked God for how he has watched over DeMar Hamlin. I couldn't help but think of Romans 8.28 and God working through a tragedy to help unify us. Over the last week, I think we have realized that life is too important to let differences separate us. Well, I would hope that uh, that would be a lesson that we would carry for some length of time. My fear is we will quickly move on. Our anger will return and we will forget the God who made us. But for that moment, it was a refreshing change. And perhaps it will inspire those of us who know him personally to turn to him in prayer and encourage others to do the same, to love others well and to proclaim his name and to seek revival. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're pretty much done for the day. We'll be back in about, oh, 22 hours. And in fact, we are going to have a radiothon. We have a new partner. We'll tell you all about it tomorrow. We'll start early in the morning and run through the, uh, through the day. But for now, I want to thank James Blend for producing, Sam Moppin for engineering, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. And keep in mind, Discovering the Jewish Jesus is heard on our sister station at 1030 a.m. and 9 o'clock p.m. That's KPDQ a.m. weekdays. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. 
If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.